All right, so we are going to finish chapter 9, helping others deal with their anger. And we've learned a great deal about anger, what it is, what it should be, what it shouldn't be. Um, but I want to, again, just to keep pounding it into our minds, let's review some of the basic things we've learned about anger. Number one would be, what is, what is anger? What's the definition we've been working with through this study? Or the key phrases or words that you remember? A whole person response. It's a whole person response. And what does that mean, Malachi? What is, why do we specify, or what does he specify a whole person response? So it's a, a whole person, meaning not just emo an emotion. It's not just a, a chemical imbalance in our minds. It's not some force outside of us that comes and possesses us and makes us do things. Um, it's not because we didn't have coffee or didn't get enough sleep. That those are not the things that anger is. Anger is our whole person response, meaning it's, it includes our emotions, it includes our, our physical body, and it includes our will, what we want. So it's all of us doing anger. Okay, very good. So it's our whole person active. active response. Active meaning it's not something that comes over you that you just have no control over. I'm just this passive thing that anger just, I don't know what got into me, this anger thing. And then I just yelled and broke something. So whole person active response. So we are doing it. It's an act of our will and emotions in our body. We are doing anger. What else? So it's our whole person active response of what? Perceived injustice. That, yeah, that's the third part. So it's against perceived injustice or perceived evil. When we see something that is unjust or not right, evil, wicked, we anger at it. Okay. And then it is, the middle part, it's, it's that negative moral judgment. So I am making, this is a moral, anger is moral. It's about morality. In my, according to my set of uh, morals, you are violating that. I'm rising up in anger and calling that unjust and wicked. So anger, when it is righteous anger, it's because our Standards of what is right and what is wrong are aligned with God's standards. Okay, that's one of the baseline um, necessities. So when we are angry, if it's righteous anger, I'm, I'm giving you the first one of three. There are three components to righteous anger. One of them is it has to be aligned with what God says is is right and wrong. It's got to be about sin, as the Bible defines sin. What are the other two things that must be present? in my anger to make it righteous. It's got to be about God's will, God's purposes, His agenda, not mine. If I'm angry because it's taking us too long to get somewhere, or because my children didn't obey me on the first time I said it, and I'm angry, 
because how dare I'm the great father and they're making me look like a bad father. Like, those are not God's agenda. That is not God's <clears throat> reasons for, <clears throat> for saying children obey your parents. So when it's about my agenda, no matter what, if the other two pieces are there or not, that's sinful anger. So it's got to be about sin and it's got to be about God's agenda to be righteous anger. And what's that third part? Yeah, it has to coexist with godly qualities, godly traits. I can't be righteously angry and screaming at someone. Even if it's about a biblically defined sin, and it's about God's agenda, it's about his kingdom, if I'm screaming and breaking things and hitting things, or if I'm just giving them the cold shoulder so that they know they're doing sinful, and I'm just going to ignore them. Whenever they come around, I'm just going to turn my butt like this. Like that, that kind of quiet, <laughs> seething anger is sinful. Okay, so whatever, whatever we do in our anger has to coexist with godly attributes, godly qualities. So those are the three things that anger must have to be righteous anger. How many times have you been righteously angry by those definitions? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I've ever been. Maybe, maybe I have. I don't know. But not less very. Donut. I don't like that. I'm rejecting that. <laughs> what? 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 Less donut. I'm pretty sure the Lord would just. Is that God's will or is that? that is that? Yeah. God's will for me. We gotta evaluate what our standard is there a little bit. <laughs> okay. So very good. So and then we've we've been through. Um, I kind of touched on this. There's in sinful anger. We've got those who will reveal their anger in a variety of ways. What are some ways that people reveal their sinful anger? Some obvious and some less obvious. If I'm angry and I'm showing it to you, how am I showing you my anger? Don't make snide comments. Yeah, it might be in the, in the content of my language. I might make sarcastic, cutting remarks. Okay, good. What else? Raising the, the volume of my voice. Mm -hmm. Quiet treatment. The quiet treatment. So I can be, I can just ignore you. Okay, that's the, that, that one's the one where I, I don't always associate that with revealing anger, but that is. I am passively, aggressively letting you know that I'm unhappy with you. I'm doing that with either ignoring you and be quiet or just giving you quick one word answers. You're asking me a question, good. Fine. Fine, everything's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it, okay? So there's volume, the, con the content of our speech, the, the tone of my voice, body language can, can be one of those things. Sighing, <sighs> clenching my, there's, there's a lot of them that can be really quiet, but angry. <laughs> Okay, so there, that, that's the revealing. And the obvious ones are like the, you know, well, I'm yelling and hitting things and breaking things and being violent, being intimidating. Those are all sinful revealing of our anger. What about the concealing? How do people do that?
you you might be really good at not letting anyone know that you're angry. Maybe you laugh. Yeah. Maybe you just deadpan, just you know, you just gotta ignore it and think about something else. But that's still that's still sinful to act like you're not angry when you are angry, and maybe you should be angry, but to pretend that you're not is wrong. So that can get dangerous. Now, we all, and he made the, this point in the book, we all do both of those at different times. So you, you may be somewhere on the spectrum of maybe usually you're a simple revealer of your anger, and sometimes every once in a while when you choose, when you're around the right people that you want to impress, then I'm going to conceal it. So if I'm around people, like at work, and my boss is around, and something happens, and my, my coworker makes me look bad in my eyes, but I'm going to pretend like I'm not angry, so I'm going to be the concealer. But at home, maybe when my spouse, or my child, or my roommate, or my friend does something, I will let them know that they're making me angry. So that's something that we all to be careful. I sometimes I will be like, no, nah, I'm not a really an angry revealer. I'm too godly for that. And I so instead I just I conceal it. I'm like, well that's not right either. Okay. So we learned a lot about anger. Um, and then we came to this chapter nine where we're talking about how, how do we help other people deal with their anger when they're having an issue have a pattern of anger, whether it's revealing or concealing, how do we do it? And it's, it's not very, doesn't really usually strike us as something fun we want to do, right? But Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So it's an act of loving one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an act of loving our Savior. We keep an eye out for each other, and we rescue one another. When somebody's caught in anger and it keeps happening, we want to come alongside them and help them. We do it with gentleness and with humility, knowing that it can happen to me too. Okay? So he has, we, Dr. Jones, Robert Jones, has a three-step process, just to continue our review here real quick. Um, step one, he said that you need to enter the person's world and give them gospel hope. And that included getting to know them, building a, a bit of a relationship, helping them understand that you're here because you love them and you want their good. You want their growth in Christ, in Christ's likeness. Um, so we, we gather data, we ask questions, we listen carefully to their past influences, how they grew up, help give us some insight into how to help love them and, and help them. Um, they're present, like kind of those, the triggers, so to speak. What are those things that happen that really cause them to anger at things? And then maybe, and part of it is asking them about if there's something that they're afraid of in the future, or they have anxieties about the future, that can cause some anger as well. So we step into the person's world. You give them gospel hope. Once you've been able to establish it, this is sinful anger that we're dealing with. We do that gently and humbly. And then we give them hope. Because in Christ, we are free from sin. We don't have to keep sinning in the same ways that we've always sinned. Even if it's been a lifelong thing. The power of the Spirit 
inside every believer enables you to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. In fact, that is a command from Paul in, in Romans 6. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That's, that's a wonderful, life-giving, hope-giving reality. We've died with Christ. We no longer live to sin. Okay, then we went into number two. The second part, the second step is to help the person root out the sinful heart beliefs and motives that cause sinful anger and embrace the God of grace. And this was all about helping everyone that you come into contact with identify where does anger come from? Where does this, this sinful anger, where does it originate? Because in their mind, in, in my mind, when I get angry, why am I angry? Yeah, yeah, they're not giving me something. He did, I, I want respect. He disrespected me. She disrespected me. Now I'm angry. It's their fault. If they wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have had to scream at them. Okay? If she would have just talked to me nicer, I would have had a conversation. I wouldn't have shut her out and been all cold and passive aggressive. If I would have been able to sleep last night, then I wouldn't be so grouchy right now. Okay? It, it's usually, when you talk to the average person about their anger, they're going to point to all these other things, circumstances, people, events that are happening around them, and that's why I'm angry. But we know from James chapter 4, why are we angry? Our desires in our hearts. We have passions and desires in our heart that are either wrong from the start or we want them so badly that we're willing to sin to get these desires and that's why we're angry fights and quarrels come from the passions that we have in our hearts so we want them to do that we humbly do that there's there's really good and i mentioned it i think last week in the appendix a he has these worksheets that you can walk through people uh, with people um, that really get to the heart of these things and, and the one that he points to there is James 4 and the cause of conflicts so it's really uh, helpful very short they're either one or two pages long each of them we'll, we'll kind of briefly go over those probably next week but very helpful that they can uh, you can help them walk through where is the really get that truth in their heart that okay this I'm angry because my heart is wrong my desire for this thing is wrong or I want it too bad. It's a good thing that I want that I want too much. And then, step number three. Actually, we were... Did I have pages get out of order? Okay. As far as... So, still in, the, in step two, we, we talked about we we're going to have to probably teach them some theology. That God is the righteous judge of your offenders. So that sometimes we're angry because we have been legitimately wronged and sometimes very badly wronged. Okay, in the, in the case of um, legitimate injustice, really bad abuses of power and authority. We remind them in Romans 12, 14 through 21, says we're not, we're not going to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. With the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, and repay no one evil for evil. So 
So just because evil has been done to me, I don't have to repay that evil with more evil. You give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And the 19 is the key. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That is a crucial truth for, for folks who have really been hurt. It is not just like, you just need to forgive them and let it go. What? There's a piece of truth in that, and a kernel of truth, that we do need to forgive because the Lord commands us to forgive. But there is sometimes some really, really deep hurt. And so we don't just say, just, you know, just get over it already. It happened in the past. You know, we, we say, you know what? The Lord will not let any injustice go unpunished. In the end, all wrongs will be righted. Okay? So that is something that, you know, as we, we've talked about, I think, before. It's been a while in the with a lot of the social justice and that there's this desire for justice which is right but it is a desire to have justice now as I define justice and if it doesn't happen then we're really angry we'll go and have some protests and it might get violent and who knows but it's right because there's injustice that, that is a, a forgetting that God is the judge and nothing will go unpunished when there is an injustice God sees it and he knows it perfectly. And it will not go unpunished. Then we have another thing that we might need to work with them through. Is God is the merciful forgiver and righteous judge of your sins. So we say, yes, that's been wrong. That was wrong for them to do that. God will judge that. But he's also going to judge you. He sees all that you do. He sees all that you say, all that you think, all of the things that go on in your heart. God is the righteous judge of your sins as well. And in that, with that realization comes, okay, I need, I need forgiveness. I need the grace of God in me for that. He is the, uh, faithful, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins in 1 John 1, 9, right? So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So those are really important. When I'm angry at myself for something I've done wrong, I take it to the Lord. He is the righteous judge and faithful Savior. Which brings us to where we left off. Like, I hammered like three minutes faster than last week. So we are at the third thing that we need to teach, we might need to teach them is God is your good, loving, and sovereign Father. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. Very well-known passage of Scripture. those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. <clears throat> who is at the right hand of Sorry, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. <clears throat> so what are some truths there that we may need to highlight to remind an angry brother or sister of God's goodness? <clears throat> How do we know that? It says right here in the Bible that God is for us. It's right there. <laughs> Verse 31. What do we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So if you're in Christ, God is for you. It doesn't matter who's against you. What else? that was paid to save and redeem us is far beyond anything we could ask for right now. If, if, we, if we think, okay, God gave his son to save me, but I'm not sure if he, if he really cares enough about my situation to deal with it. That's, that's kind of slan that's slanderous, that's blasphemous <laughs> about, about the way that God loves his people. And if you imagine your imagine your your own children or someone who you love who you you want the absolute best for them, and if they if they responded to you as if you you didn't really you're kind of indifferent towards them, the way that they oh I don't want to go and ask us imagine my my daughter is not wanting to come and ask me to to get them some cereal for breakfast when I want all the great wonderful things in the world for them and they're afraid to come to me to ask me some, for some breakfast. Or something. That, that would be pretty tragic, right? That would be, break my heart. So <clears throat> that's like that times a million for the Lord. The way that the Father loves us because of Christ is he was willing to give up his own son to save What else might you point out? I mean, the fact that God is like especially in verse um, 35, like he's talking about um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. It makes me think of the story of Joseph. You know, he had this horrible thing happen to him back in Egypt. His brothers sold him into slavery. But all throughout the story of Joseph, it says, but God was with Joseph. But mm -hmm. God was with Joseph. And I think remembering that, remembering that he was not alone, that God ordained the bad things that happened for him, 
help them to see the bigger purpose in that and ultimately forgive those others. When, when something really legitimately bad has happened to you, happened to the person you're, you're trying to love and help, bring up Joseph, bring up verse 35. Okay. Other things? Just knowing that he, he set it all up from the beginning, that he called, he predestined, he justified. <coughs> we, that just to be able to trust part of his plan what's the purpose of his plan to test us to see how faithful we'll be that is ultimate reason why he's doing things bring him glory bring himself glory how 29 second part of second part of that verse Why do all things work together? I mean, we know that all things work together for good for those who call according to his purpose. What's his purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. And what better purpose could there be? He's making us like Jesus. So a lot of a lot of good, wonderful truths that we can walk out through. Death can't even separate us from the love of Christ. That's great. So we, we walk them through that. And then we go to the third, <clears throat> the step three. We want to help the person control his sinful anger expressions and replace them with godly words and actions. Now, in chapter 5, on the next page there, top of page 4 in your notes, we have um, the steps that he gave all the way back in chapter 5 for the angry, anger revealers and anger concealers. So what do you do when you realize, okay, this is, um, I've identified that uh, my anger is from my own desires and my own heart. I, I agree with you, it's sinful, now what do I do? I even know that there's hope in Christ that you've already told me told me that there's hope I don't have to keep doing this I know that it's my own heart how do I do it you walk through these steps with them depending on the situation and I'm gonna we're gonna apply this in just a moment to a couple of scenarios so I'm gonna keep that page handy uh, if you have it um, but let's look at um, the question number 10 a, a crucial point walking somebody through this is they have to be repentant right for you to really help them they have to desire to to turn from their sin and, and follow christ and be more like him if he's not what do you do or if she the person you're working with is not really repentant they're still quick to point to well you might be right maybe but if, if they would do if they would do that better i wouldn't be so angry what do you do in that situation Pile of 
your anger is light and and all in all, you didn't that could be an, an issue um, because maybe and maybe if you bring another person along, the other person will also say no, yeah, like the person who you're addressing is right. That's not the they're not sinning, or maybe they will back up and say yes, you are sinning. There's a lot of assumptions that I know I'm asking you. I'm just going to throw out this situation. Assuming they are sinfully, they're sinning in their anger, <clears throat> and they're they're not really repentant. They're they're either trying to check the box. Yeah, I talked to talked to Brock about it. I I had a meeting, but I, it doesn't really. It's not really a, a problem for them. They don't view it as a big problem that they need to solve. What do we do? I think we may need to get help. We may, we may need to get another brother or sister to come and help us. Um, to because again, we are um, we're seeking to rescue them. They're caught in a transgression. This is not something that's just little and not very important. Well, I tried, <laughs> you know, and and let them. They didn't want my help. They they didn't really want to do what I asked them to do. Well, we continue to call them to repentance. Really, we, we keep calling, we keep showing them the standard, we keep showing them the scriptures, and over time, as you call somebody to friends, as long as they're willing to, to come and talk with you about it, they, they kind of know what needs to be dealt with, we continue to call them to repentance, we continue to, to help them see the ways that their desires are what are causing this, and we define that for them, we talk with them through it, we are patient and we're playing we're playing the long game because sometimes this is going to take a long time right it's going to take maybe months years for some and so we keep calling to repentance and and in the process of calling them to repentance as we pray uh, pray for them call them to repentance pray for them some more call them to repentance again pray for them walk lord willing the holy spirit will help them see he'll open their eyes and so it's not a one-time thing. I did it once, and I check, and he wasn't repentant, so I can't do anything else about it. And we continue to walk with him. We continue to call them to repent. Continue to call them to the standard of Scripture. And pray that the Lord will do a, do a work in their heart. May need to get some help. Call some brothers and sisters in Christ along with you. Okay? So... Helping angry people can be costly. This is a quote from the book. It will cost you your time to cultivate a relationship with and talk with your friend. It will cost you the energy of reading your Bible and praying. And it may even subject you to the other person's anger. But the riches of serving our Lord in this ministry far outweigh our investment. To see friends, family members, and fellow church members humbling themselves before God, before the God of grace is a rich reward. As James 5, 19-20 reminds us, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the, his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, so that is the end of that lesson. We've got some discussion scenarios. Alright, so we've got Gilbert and Eileen. They're new to church. After introducing yourself, you invite them to join you for lunch and they accept throughout the meal. You are getting some subtle and not-so-subtle hints that there are some anger issues they are going through. Some of these hints include 
Gilbert gives his wife stern and unpleasant looks as she tells the story of how they met and got married. Eileen turns red and makes sarcastic cutting remarks when Gilbert corrects the portions of her story uh, and or other comments. <clears throat> At one point during the meal, Gilbert pushes back from the table somewhat aggressively, saying he needs to use the restroom. And while he's away, Eileen apologizes for his rude, inconsiderate behavior and asks you to please pray for him that he would listen at church and get himself together. Later that afternoon, you get a phone call from Gilbert, Gilbert and Eileen in which both of them apologize profusely and ask if you can help them. So, we're going to try to apply this three-step process and also that, that table on page four if you have that with you. Uh, Step one, enter the person's world and give them gospel hope. How would you begin to get to know Gilbert um, or Eileen? And maybe you're doing it together, I don't know, in a group. But how would you start to start that process of developing that relationship with them? Sends a message that I'm not going to forsake you because you've acted sinfully. I'm not done with you. You have the sins. I don't want to catch them from you. Right? I, I'm going to keep having them over. Keep going to lunch with them. Keep spending time together. Yeah, that's good. What else could you do? We go to the next question. What questions would you ask? Maybe ask them. I mean, they they've reached out to you and called you and kind of said, hey. Good. That's a good thing. What what do they think the problem is? How them define the problem in their own words and see what do they say? And also the good one he said not only that but ask them specifically what they think that they do not even like. I would ask Gilbert. Obviously, this would have to be like an interpreter. But ask Gilbert like what he thinks he does. But the same is I mean the same to Eileen. What does she do wrong? Because mm -hmm. if I ask them what irritates you about your significant other, that's gonna be a really dumb question to ask. Ask them. kind of the idea behind playing the long game is probably the best because you don't know until you actually get to know them and you go beyond like what you witnessed and what they apologize for all you're seeing is symptoms of a larger condition and you need to figure out what that larger condition is and sometimes that's beyond just like you know the immediacy of this anger outburst or this so like getting to know like what are their what's their backgrounds I mean, even something as simple as like, what part of the country did you grow up in? Did you guys know each other when you were kids? You know, learning like how, as we were talking about, you know, establishing what a healthy marriage looks like, what a Christ, what a Christ-honoring marriage looks <coughs> like. Like, what were their examples leading into marriage? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's I mean, really it's, good. It's 
more involved, but I think, you know, it's the, I mean, it's the, the more, you know, discipling centered, like, we really want to get rid of this. We don't want it to just be, you don't get angry around us, but you're still angry mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, we don't want them to change their angry revealing to angry concealing, and they're just going to do it later when they leave. Yeah, so, yeah, asking the questions, I think you hit on it. The really important thing is to figure out what has happened before. Okay? Figure out where are you from? What was your what was your family like? Um, what were your parents like? What are your relationships with your siblings if you have them? Like those kind of get in their their history. That's a really important part <coughs> that might help you. What other kinds of questions might you ask? Mark, I would I would want to begin to discern where they are spiritually and, mm-hmm. and even the, theologically. Um, yeah just by asking their testimony um, how they came to faith um, try to figure out if they truly understand the gospel right. um, just to see if are we dealing with a believer here or somebody who needs to repent and come mm-hmm. to faith Yeah, that's a great way to also get some history too is, hey, mm-hmm. what, tell me about your testimony mm-hmm. how'd you come to the Lord that would be really informative Yeah, and that those like Jason was saying, that might take four or five different events over months, where you're kind of gradually getting information, um, and then you are then then you can kind of the next phase would be to kind of figure out okay what present time, what are the things that are happening that are provoking your anger in each other, and that's where you might use what Malachi is saying. So Gilbert, what are you, what are you? Why are you saying what you're saying in that moment? Why are you looking at your wife like that when she says that? And then trying to figure out in, in the moment, in those, in those specific incidents, what's going on? What are, what are those little things that are making us angry? Um, so what are we reacting against? So, and then the, the third part would be the future. Okay, are there, is there something that they're worried about coming down the pike. And we will, in our second scenario, we'll figure out maybe there's, there's some things going on. So you've got, you enter their, per, their world, you give them gospel hope. How do you give gospel hope to Gilbert and Eileen? That game's four. I mean, they've got to understand where the anger's coming. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that it's just their selfishness. If it's always someone else, that's, you got to get that settled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go to James 4. And there's also, there's a little hope in James 4 as well, right? There's the, um, God gives you grace to the humble. Right? So that's, that's something you can take into. You know, God gives grace to the humble. If you're humble, you're acknowledging your own sin, and you're acknowledging that that's a sinful rejection of God and what he calls you to do. That is a sin against your wife. And vice versa, that's a sin against God, and it's a sin against your husband, Eileen. That humility, God gives grace to the humble. And we have, yeah, we mentioned a little bit ago, Romans 6. You um, don't have to do, you don't have to respond that way. You get Ephesians 4, you put off the old man, you put on the new man. In Christ, you have that freedom. In Christ, to obey, um, to serve and love. Every marriage has an anger problem. Right? 
if we said earlier, well, several weeks ago, every person had an anger problem, then obviously every marriage will have anger problems, right? Um, so <coughs> I think it might be also hope-giving to, to know that not, not all anger is bad. A lot of times it's what we do with that anger. So initially, if I sin or that person sins, there might be a legitimate way for me to be angry. But then it's just, what, what do I do with the anger? So if Jesus is angry at the Pharisees who are, who are trying to catch him, healing the man with the withered hand, looks around with them in anger, what does he do with his anger? What does Jesus do? He heals the man. And... I mean, I know this is reading between the lines, but I bet, I'm guessing he's not like, stretch out your hand. Right? He's not, he's not, no. With compassion for the man, he says, stretch out your hand, and he heals him. You know? He doesn't, the Pharisees, he's mad at the Pharisees. He doesn't let that turn into, um, everything that he does now is just going to be with this irritation and this tone of voice and this, that he's just upset. He no. gets coffee. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. what we do. Yeah. So, our anger should provoke us to do things, but it also has to be, like we, those three criteria, it's got to be against the sin, it's got to be about God's agenda, not mine, and it's got to be coexisting with patience and gentleness, humility, love, okay, all of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. That it's got to be with them. Okay, so that might be hopeful. There's a, there's a way... To be angry righteously. There's a way to be angry and let that lead towards reconciliation and encouragement and repentance. So anger is not a universally bad thing. It's not universally sinful. Now, if you're doing it right now, yes, but the, there's some hope there. I'll point them to that. It might be a good idea too to, to even state the goal. You know, even if this person is provoking mm -hmm. you, the goal is to glorify God even in this situation, yeah. and to uh, get them to see that their response is their own, and then they become part of the problem because now they're creating <coughs> sin also. Mm -hmm. So sin begets sin. Yeah. So if somebody can stop and realize that that is the goal in the situation, to me sometimes when I have. So the goal in all situations, at all times, is to glorify the Lord. Our aim is to please Him, you know, whether we're at home or away. So First Corinthians, was that Second Corinthians six? Um, so yeah, those reminding them of the goal of to glorify God in the midst of situations that might used to provoke you to anger and sinful anger. Now, our overarching goal is not so that I can get that desire that I've been craving and wanting. Now the goal is to glorify the Lord. Any other comments? <clears throat> Step two, um, Carol kind of touched on already. Help the person control his sinful, sinful anger expression. Oh, sorry, I skipped it. Help the person root out sinful heart beliefs. That's where you go to James 4. Uh, so you're helping them see, like we've talked about, that anger comes from your desires, your heart. Sinful anger does. So what are some possible sinful heart beliefs that, and motives that are in the heart of Gilbert first. 
based on the dinner scenario, and they've actually they've obviously come to you because so this is not a one-time isolated event. What are some things that, that Gilbert is might might be struggling with? What desires does he have that he's clinging to so tightly? Judging from my own personal experience with myself, it sounds like he's coming from a point of his pride is wounded, <coughs> and like he doesn't he doesn't want to sound like maybe, and this is because this is all a you know fictional thing. I think I'd go down the road of like if he's telling a story and the wife is making him sound stupid or silly, mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to come off as stupid or silly. Mm -hmm. You know, go down that like maybe figure out what his what he thinks of himself and maybe listen to how he talks about himself. Yeah. And then figure out is this a pride issue? Is he just he needs to keep his image of himself together, you know. Is that what's most important to him? Is his desire to look a, be a certain person or look mm -hmm. a certain way? Yeah, if if you identify if the desire might be he wants to look really good in front of new people. He wants to be impressive. He maybe wants to be admired. Maybe it's just he wants to be respected and he feels like his wife is disrespecting him. Okay? Which is, that would be a good desire to to have the respect of your wife. That's fine. It's a good desire. But if it becomes a thing where, oh, she's saying that thing and she's telling that part of the story and I don't I told her not to tell that part. That that is because I have this desire in my heart that I better look really good in front of new people that we meet, especially at church. I mean, that is a desire that is clung to very tightly, and then when it, something starts to happen that makes me, in my perception, look worse, I might lash out. My yeah, and then you'll look worse than if you just... That might be a thing where, like, I I need to be perceived as the leader, so I answer the questions, and she's answering the questions, she's telling the story. I wanted to tell, yeah, this could, could be something like that. I I need to be perceived as the one who's in charge and knows all the answers, and like, there's there could be a lot of different things going on. Let's go to Eileen. What what might be something that Eileen is struggling with? A desire in her heart that she is um, clinging to. How so? Well, it says, well, he's away. Eileen apologizes for his rude, inconsiderate behavior and asks you to please pray for him mm -hmm. so that he would listen at church and get his thoughts together. Mm -hmm. So, not God's will, but maybe her will. That's what it sounds like, at least. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, it's almost like she's wanting him to listen at church and get himself together. It's not as if she's asking on God's will or the exact best for him. Yeah. And it's casting off her responsibility. So yeah, thinking about uh, there could be some self righteousness. I am I am better than him. I really wish he would shape up and, and be the leader that God wants him to be. And, and so there's a a self righteous uh, thing that don't think that this is because of me. He just does that. He he's doing all these things, and I can't help it. I'm just trying to 
pray for him and, and just a great wife and he just doesn't appreciate me. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of things that could be going in there where she sees obviously who is the problem in her eyes. Yeah. It's him. He, he really needs church. I think the fact that she says that he needs to get himself together doesn't really, it shows that she doesn't have a very good perception of, it's kind of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and that God's really not involved. She, yeah. She's blaming him as if it's, it, he could do it himself mm-hmm. with no help. Yeah. That's a great point. For the sake of time, we're, we're the scriptures that we, get, we kind of mentioned already, we have James 4, expose their heart beliefs and motives and then also give them hope Romans 6 and others that we have talked about let's look at number step number three you help the person control his sinful anger expressions and replace them with godly words and actions how could you help Gilbert and or Eileen identify and confront their angry actions and words at lunch how do you bring that up That's really putting, I gave the softball scenario, right? So they came to you, they know that there's a problem, they need help. So you know what, this, here's, here's what I would say. You asked me for help, um, and when, Eileen, when you said this part of the story and your tone went like this, it, it kind of sounds like you were making him sound bad. Like he's kind of a dummy and you, and you still dated him and got married and all that, whatever. So in the favor. You, <laughs> Like, you married down, and yeah. <laughs> so that, that's what, that's the tone of what you were saying, some, and, and so Gilbert is insulted by that. And so Gilbert, when you, when you look at her like that, what are you, what are you hoping to accomplish? Quench your jaw and you look at her from the side of your head. Now, you are, that's an angry expression. You're wanting to her to stop that. You're trying to control that through that physical gesture. That's, that's kind of intimidating. That's that's anger. That's out of control. <clears throat> so when you push back from the table and you stomp off to the bathroom, that's that's sinful anger. What are you communicating by doing that? So you're helping them see. Oh. oh some of these, they might not even have been aware that that was a thing that you picked up on as you were eating lunch. Maybe he thinks he was doing a godly thing by storming off to the bathroom so he didn't yell, right? So helping him, when you do that, that's anger and that's sinful. So helping them identify their, some of these maybe deeper levels of anger that they realize. Eileen, when you made that comment, when he was gone, and you made the comment about him needing to get himself together, and he's so rude and all this kind of stuff, he needs Jesus. Um, you, you need to understand that's not blessing your husband. That's not encouraging him. That's not loving him. So there are those kinds of things that you just have to point out gently the things that are sinful and do it with humility again. Any other comments on that? Just, just um, bring up 
this is common, like you said before, this is common to, to everybody. Anger is something we all struggle with. Maybe share an example of how you dealt with that with your wife. And so it lets them know that you're not talking down to them, but that you're relating to them. They're not alone in that situation. You don't even be able to say, you know, when you push away, I, I do that. And, I, and I've talked with my wife, and this is, when I do that, it makes her feel a certain way. It makes her feel uncomfortable. It might make her feel afraid. It might make her, so, and I, so I'm saying that as someone who has struggled in the same way, and now, but that is anger. And so, yeah, that's a great, great point. If you can relate, if you can give an example of, in your own life and help, help them from that, We are running out of time. I would encourage you on the next page, there's a, a <coughs> scenario about Gilbert and Eileen's two children. Trent's 12-year-old boy is displaying outbursts of shouting, cursing at times, and, or, cursing and at times starts <coughs> of violence at home and at school. Then there's an eight-year-old, Esmeralda, who is well-adjusted until seemingly out of nowhere, she has a debilitating bout of crying, fearfulness, and physical sickness. So how might you approach counseling Trent and Esmeralda I think one, one important point to uh, make before we go is um, a lot of times as we work, our, our primary strategy to help Trent and Esmeralda is to help the parents. Right? So as we counsel the parents, as we help them with their uh, identifying their anger, really they're the ones who are going to be the one who most able to help their children. So it may be a thing where we're, we're kind of coached parents and they they as they're growing in Christ likeness they're putting this sin to death now they're going to use those things with their children but um, so time is up this is something interesting that you might think through if you were uh, in a having a conversation with Trent or Esmeralda how would that go how would you walk through those three steps with them but we are out of time next week we will do chapter 10 um, which is is why you must deal with your anger. So, uh, kind of like similar to what we did when, when we finished up our conflict resolution, our um, biblical conflict resolution study, and we know, okay, we've got the tools. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know that God calls me to do it. But it's so much work, and it's like never ending. How do you how do you stay motivated? Now, same thing here. We have anger. Anger is a, a universal problem. It's all of our hearts and all of our the hearts of the people around us. How do I stay motivated to, to obey the Lord and deal with sinful anger and uproot it when I see it in my heart and help others uproot it when they when they see it? How do we do that? There's there's he gives really good biblical answers for that. So that'll be next week. Thank you everybody.